<clears throat> okay. Psalm 13. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? And day after day of sorrow in my heart, how long will my enemy triumph over me? As has been said um, a couple times already this morning, this is our Advent season. It's, it's the time of the year that the Christian church has traditionally set aside the four Sundays leading up to Christmas to remember that Christ is coming again. And thus we wait. Advent is the time of the year that we embrace the waiting and anticipate, eagerly anticipate the return of our Savior, realizing that um, he is faithful to finish the work that he's begun. Scripture tells us that. And so there's a, there's a longing, there's a waiting, there's an anticipation, and there's an aching. Um, we've talked about waiting in hope. That was week one. And by the way, th th these are the sort of the traditional subjects that the church has always observed as we celebrate Advent, waiting in hope, waiting in peace, waiting in joy, waiting in love, uh, which of course will be next week. Ben is going to be giving our Christmas Eve slash Christmas uh, sermon next week on waiting in love. The early fathers of the church read the ebbing of light and heat and vegetable life each year as a foreshadowing of the time when life as we know it will end completely. That it will end is the rock bottom truth we sense deeply in our primal bones every December and it rightly terrifies us to their and our abiding fear of a dark ending the church spoke of an Adventus or Advent, a coming in faith. They and we proclaim when life as we know it goes this year and at the end of all years, one comes and comes bringing a new beginning. That is the heart of Advent, waiting for Jesus to come. And so we wait. We wait for new life. And our heart cries out, how long, oh Lord, how long, how long, how long? And we wait for Jesus to come again. And in the waiting, we're reminded that there's beauty and there's purpose in the journey. <clears throat> and although there's heartache in the longing, we wait in hope and we wait in peace and we wait in joy and we wait in love. But the waiting can get difficult, can it not? Sometimes waiting can be fun. Anticipation can add to the, the excitement, like Christmas. Sometimes the waiting can become uh, painful. How long, oh Lord? How long? The waiting can get difficult. Where we can sometime begin to lose our way in the waiting is when we 
uh, inadvertently, accidentally, uh, begin to wait in expectation of something that perhaps isn't to come. We talked about waiting in hope. What is, what is hope? How do we understand hope? What is that meant to feel like? Waiting in peace. Of course, that was last week. We, we read the words of Jesus, um, John chapter 14. Jesus said explicitly that I give you hope. Or I'm leaving you peace, but not like the world knows peace. And so there's a very um, important distinction uh, in the way we understand hope and peace and joy and love. And sometimes we, we can be waiting for, for something that we are expecting or anticipating that's not necessarily what is to come. Um, we can be waiting for the moment when I finally feel like the peace that my soul longs for only if I somehow begin to think that peace is meant to feel or look a very certain way uh, that the world, if I can put it that way, offers, um, I might find myself becoming slightly uh, frustrated or disillusioned when Jesus offers me a different kind of peace. Uh, Jesus offers us a very peculiar sort of peace. The kingdom of God, so in very broad terms, it's a very counterintuitive phenomenon. Of course, we live in the world. We go to work in the world, and we raise families in the world, and we pursue relationships and attempt to pay our bills and stay healthy. We do all of these things as like real humans in the world. And yet we're told that our, our, our citizenship is elsewhere. And Jesus invites us to uh, receive or be a part of experience um, life in his kingdom while still living in the world. And so there's this very real uh, paradoxical reality that we're, we find ourselves in as we attempt to follow Jesus. Jesus offers us hope and peace and joy, but it's a very uh, particular, peculiar um, sort of thing that Jesus offers us. And when we forget that, which I think we all do, yeah? That's where we can find ourselves like thinking, you know, maybe, maybe I don't know, maybe it just doesn't work. Maybe it's not true. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. Or maybe God just doesn't like me because it's not working. Um, and then, of course, it's the preacher's job uh, to help us Hopefully you're not completely relying on Sunday sermons. Um, we look to scripture. We look to the words of Jesus and he helps us. Remember, this, this, is, this is what hope looks like. It's not just a wish. It's not just fingers crossed. It's, not, it's, it's rooted. It's anchored in a reality. Christian hope is based on historic fact. If I may be so bold, my hope is in the resurrection of Christ. That's a peculiar kind of hope. What does that even mean? You have to listen to the sermon from two weeks ago. I don't even know if that's going to answer the question, but 
peace, a peculiar kind of peace, not as the world offers, but something else. And then, of course, joy. What of joy? What does it look like to wait in joy? Let's talk about joy. You guys ready for the joy talk? I always feel like I need to apologize uh, before we talk about joy. Um, and maybe it's just me, but it feels like one of those things where um, I remember when we planted this church, one of the first sermon series that we, we did, we just, I taught through the entire book of Philippians. One of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, the whole book is about joy. Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. It's joy. It's like a book of joy. Um, that was almost seven years ago. I still have the distinct feeling that, that was for sure the worst sermon series of our life as a church. <laughs> maybe it's not true. I don't know. Maybe someday I'll go back and listen to it and think, oh, it's not that bad. But there's something about talking about joy immediately. Uh, there's this sense of like, oh, here we go. Like, I'm going to be told to like, I should be feeling more joy. I should have more joy. And I don't know if that's super, that's not a good feeling. So I'm sorry. But here's the joy talk. Hopefully it'll be better. Let's look at the words of Jesus. This is from John chapter 16. If you have a Bible, you're very welcome to look with me. John chapter 16, starting in verse 16. This is what Jesus said to his disciples on the eve of his crucifixion. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you were asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. There we see it again. He contrasts uh, the joy of the world, he says that the world's going to rejoice. It's, it's a party. It's a blast. It's wonderful. Um, while they're rejoicing, you will have sorrow. Sounds like two different kinds of joy happening. And he says, but the time will come when your sorrow will turn to joy. Like a woman who's in anguish because she's in the middle of labor, but when the baby comes, the joy of that uh, reward, if I can put it that way, will surpass the anguish, and your sorrow will turn into joy. It's a different kind of joy. I'll put it this way. Worldly joy 
is what it feels like when life is good. Godly joy, it's not necessarily the end of pain, but rather the elevation of God's goodness. It's what happens when God's goodness eclipses our pain. It's new life in the wake of anguish. Uh, Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. He's referring to himself. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. The Bible is incredibly honest about the reality of suffering in this world. I had a conversation, very, very brief conversation, um, after the chimes Tuesday night. By the way, who was at the chimes? So good. So good. So good. Do you want the mic? Okay, sorry. Yeah, the chimes was so good. Um, if you missed it, I just, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with you, but I'll pray for you. That's fantastic. We'll just, we'll just have to keep doing it every year, yeah? Okay, well, we'll see. We'll see. Um, the chimes was great. Uh, the thing I loved about it was that it's like, it's like brutally honest. It's like a story of someone dealing with like the reality of, of, of brokenness and pain in this life. Um, and yet hope just comes piercing through the darkness. Um, But it's honest. It's brutally honest. It's real. And after the chimes, I had a very brief conversation with with someone who was there. Um, I was was caught a little off guard, but they said, why doesn't the church, speaking to me as like the preacher, why doesn't the church speak more honestly about pain and suffering and hopelessness? I'm like, that's fair. That's fair. She said a few other things. It wasn't super fair. Um, but yeah, I think, um, I think actually the Bible does speak plainly about the reality of pain and suffering. And Jesus said it explicitly. Like people will hate you and revile you and exclude you on, the, the account, on account of your friendship with me. But it doesn't just stop there. Jesus says, despite that, there's a joy available. There's a gift that's coming, a reward awaiting that's greater, that eclipses pain, like a woman giving birth to a newborn. God's joy or God's goodness doesn't erase the past, doesn't ignore our pain, it doesn't it doesn't uh, marginalize or, or uh, what's the word? It doesn't patronize the hurting. The Bible's incredibly honest about the reality of suffering in this world. And it doesn't present joy as a kind of naive, disingenuous uh, alternative to sorrow. The Bible doesn't downplay your pain nor patronize the hurting as if life's not really that hard. Life is hard, actually. Or or maybe I'm just doing it wrong? No, life's hard. Life is hard. 
And just as soon as you think that the waiting couldn't get any harder, uh, sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. And the Bible never pretends like your pain is merely an illusion. Sorrow is the reality of what sin does to our world, but joy, but joy, joy is God's Easter egg in the journey of affliction. It's not what happens when life gets good. It's what happens when the goodness of God eclipses our pain. It reframes everything. That's joy. Godly joy is the surpassing goodness of knowing God, if I can put it that way. And knowing that he's with you in your pain. He's got you. You're okay. Godly joy um, is also a relational phenomenon. You've heard it said, misery loves company. Truly, truly, I say to you, joy demands it. <laughs> misery love company. Misery loves company. We've all heard that. Um, I say joy demands it. Because joy is a relational phenomenon. Um, For example, I'll give you a few verses. Uh, This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 17 says, Since we were torn away from you, brothers and sisters, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. He writes in a letter to a young leader in the church named Timothy. He says, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. And John writes in his second epistle, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete Remember, there's a distinction. There is a type of of joy, a worldly joy, which, by the way, isn't bad per se. Um, Have you ever heard the expression common grace? Kind of a theological concept that you don't have to be religious. You don't have to be a believer. You don't even have to be particularly spiritual. Just to go outside and look at Mount Hood on a clear day and feel the joy of the Lord fill your heart. That's just, that's, just, that's just the presence of God in creation. Common grace. I think the same is true of joy. There is common joy. Just look up. Look around. Take a deep breath. There's beauty everywhere. Look at a waterfall. Stare at a newborn. Pinch your cheeks. Smell her head. 
There's joy to be had all over the place. That's common joy. But there is a particular, a peculiar sort of joy that Jesus offers us. So I would make the distinction this way. Worldly joy is what it feels like when your life goals start working out. Career, finances, health, etc. Biblical joy or godly joy is what it feels like to be surrounded by people who love you, especially when your life goals aren't working out. What do you think about that? Paul... Um, and John, the two writers of the letters that I just quoted from, um, historians tell us, historians all agree, that these men were writing from dungeons, locked up in the dark someplace, longing to be with their brothers and sisters, their f- friends. Um, I don't know if rotting away in a Roman dungeon was like part of their like life plan. Don't know if it was on their to-dos, things to get done, die in a dungeon. Worldly joy is when life is good and everything's working out. Great. I love those moments. I love when life is good. Please, for God's sake, rejoice when life is good. There's nothing like getting to the end of the week and looking at your to-do list and just rejoicing but what about the other parts the other bits of life when it feels like man rotting in a dungeon alone was not part of the plan what I long for more than anything now is to be surrounded by people who love me joy and by the way this is true of peace and love Um, righteousness, these are all relational categories. All this stuff, the fruit of the Spirit, even the works of the flesh, they're all relational things, things that are, are experienced between people. That's biblical joy. It's the joy we feel when we're surrounded by people who love us. Um, God himself, the body of Christ, loving on us well, especially when life goals are not working out. Friendship is the fertile soil of joy. Your to-do list may be in shambles, but while friendship still remains, joy is still possible. And a friendship is hard. I had an enlightening conversation with my two sons on our way to church this morning. I was uh, checking my theology with them. We were talking about friendship. Isaac made this comment. Isaac, I'm going to quote you now, okay? He said, um, let me make sure I get it right. The closer you get in friendship the harder it becomes to maintain. That's what I said. So, hmm. Hmm. Now, I don't know if I have a verse for that, per se. I've got 40-plus years of life. 
I know for sure, okay, theologically, biblically, whatever, that God's grace isn't somehow mutually exclusive to the hard things of life. All I have to do is look at the cross and know that that's not true. God's love is most vividly, radically, amazingly demonstrated for us in death. God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. God shows up right in the darkness. Our father is the master of redemption. He doesn't just make pain go away. He shows up in it. The goodness of God eclipses our pain. God is well familiar with the journey of affliction. And the same is true of friendship. The deeper you go into friendship with God and others, the more you realize, I need grace. I need grace upon grace upon grace. He who began, um, he who, who, who began by a work of the Spirit, by hearing with faith, doesn't complete it through works. He completes it through grace. The longer I follow Jesus, the more painfully aware I become of how much I need grace. Friendship. It's hard. Really hard. Um, And wonderful. Friendship is hard, and friendship um, is where joy grows. Um, friendship is the goal. This is my last sermon of 2023. I hope it's good. <laughs> so far, so good. Okay. Um, and I thought, oh, that's that's something. I'm gonna I'm gonna preach my heart out, and I'm gonna get on a plane, and it be, it, be, it feels so nice if it just felt like a good one. Um, but I thought, well. Closing thoughts, final words of the year. And in preparation, about halfway through the week, I realized, oh, if we're going to talk about joy, eventually we've got to to talk about friendship. Because joy isn't just this abstract sort of uh, thing that exists out there that I can tap into if, like, the scenery's mystical enough. Biblical joy is a relational category. It's something that's meant to be enjoyed in relationship with God and others. And so that's wonderful. That's, that's, that's one of my great life passions. If I can only preach one sermon for the rest of my life, I think I might just preach on friendship. It says in James uh, chapter 2 that Abraham believed God and thus it was counted to him as righteousness. You guys ever hear, remember the story of Abraham? This old geezer out in the desert. God picked him out, met with him, and said, Abraham, I want to use you. I want to bless you. I want to give you a family, and through your family, I'm going to bless the world. And that promise was fulfilled through the offspring of Abraham, that is, Jesus. In Christ. Through faith in Christ, I am made right with God. 
And it says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and Abraham was called a friend of God. A friend of God. That's what righteousness does. It makes me a friend of God and thus a friend of others. Maybe even my enemies. If the grace of God is all that. I think it is. I think that's exactly what it is. I was once God's enemy. And instead of punishing me, he came down and suffered on my behalf so that I can be made righteousness. That is, that I can become his friend. Like Father Abraham. Friendship with God. It's not just a side project. It's not just, hey, if you're into it, Here's the thing that you could check out. No, it's it. This is it. This is what we're doing here. God comes to befriend us and then invites us to befriend others and invite them to meet our best friend, Jesus. The kingdom of God is all about friendship. And if you want to experience joy, then you're going to have to wade into the wonderful mess of friendship. How do you feel about that? God's grace is more than enough. And you're going to have to work really, really hard. You're like, wait, wait a second. I thought grace meant we didn't have to work hard. False. False. That's not it at all, actually. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 would be my reference. Paul, he says explicitly, I worked harder than anyone but not me. God's grace at work within me. Okay. So God's grace is more than enough, and you're going to have to work really, really hard. Both are true. Um, How are your friendships lately? Are your friendships a source of great joy or not? How do you view your friendships? Um, let's, I, w- I want to just land here. A couple practical thoughts, and that's it, guys. Then we're going to worship some more and receive communion. Here's some practical thoughts. Um, joy is wrapped up in friendship, so as we wait for the return of Jesus, we do well not to avoid pain, but to find Jesus in the midst of pain and to realize it's going to involve others. Friendship, right? So there's, there's, there's the, the connection, the connecting thoughts. How do we do it? What does it look like? How do we ruin it? Well, we can miss it if we just forget that actually all of this that we're doing here, just read your Bible. Look for the relationships. You'll realize this is all about God is this relational being who longs to be intimate with us creatures. That's what it's all about. What does he do? How does it work? First of all, how many of you feel like you're not the best friend in the world? When you think about your friendships, you think about the friend you'd like to be, do you ever think to yourself, man, I'm like, I am just exceeding my friendship quota every week, all the time, in every way. I'm just the best. I'm the best friend in the room. 
No one thinks that. Or if you, well, God bless you if you do. I want to be your friend. I want to be your friend. Most of the time, most of us, because I'm a pastor, I talk to people. I'm like, tell me about your fears and your feelings and your joys. I hear this all the time. All the time. And I catch myself confessing this. I, I struggle to be a good friend. I wish I was a better friend. I wish I called people more often. I wish I made more time for people. I wish I was less fixated on my to-dos and just valued my friendships more. I wish, I wish I took my friendships for granted less. Any of this ringing true? Yes, of course it is. So let's work on this. Let's be gracious towards one another when it comes to our friendships. You are doing your best, and your best is good enough. Or I could just rebuke you for all being terrible people and tell you to work harder. (laughs) Nah, let's not do that. God doesn't do that to us. God is such a gracious friend, constantly looking for the opportunity to build up, constantly looking for, like, I was given gifts yesterday. We had an early Christmas in the Bardoni house. You know what I got? So my family is sitting right here, so I need to speak carefully. I'm never terribly impressed by gifts. Let me put it this way. I am the worst person to buy a gift for, all right? Very, very difficult to please. Not easily impressed. But I've had to learn over time that my family is doing their utmost to love me well. And so whatever it is that's under that tree, I open that thing and I'm just like, this is the best gift ever. Thank you. Because it is a gift. Your friendship is a gift. You don't owe me. You're not obligated. Jesus doesn't owe me anything. He wasn't obligated. Friendship is a gift. And when someone decides to give you a little bit of their affection, a little bit of their time, a little bit of their attempt to be a good friend, even if you're like, really? That's your friendship? That's your attempt? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the gift. Thank you. Thank you for the grace of your friendship. It's too easy to think to yourself, man, if I was in your shoes, I would be way better. If, if I was in your situation, if I was uh, facing your life and the decisions that you have to make and the things that you're trying to do well and, the, and all of your attempts at loving people and honoring God well, if I was in your shoes, psh, I would do way better. Uh, that's the antithesis of grace. Friendship means we, we are gracious towards one another and we receive our best efforts at being good friends as gift. As gift. Because that's how Jesus loves us. It's a gift. 
and there's joy. There's joy. There's joy in friendship. It gets harder uh, the more intimate you get uh, because it feels very, very personal. Oh, man, I could, I just... I look around the room, and I need, to, I need to land, but I look around the room, and I think of all of the people that I wish I was a better friend to, and I think I can think of specific ways that I've let you down. I'm sorry. Please be gracious with me. I want to do better. Please be gracious with one another. Love believes the best. You guys with me? Can we stand together, please? We're going to receive communion. And then we'll worship together in song. title of my sermon is God's Joy and Pain and Friendship. Just made it up. <laughs> God's Joy and Pain and Friendship. His grace is more than enough. Lord, would you help us as we wait for your return, as we long, as we are honest about uh, how hard life can get. Lord, would you help us to to trust you and to know that, Lord, you aren't far off, but you're close, especially in our pain. And that though sorrow may last through the night, joy comes in the morning. And I pray for any of us in here who would say, man, my night has been lasting. I I can't remember. I can't, how long, oh Lord, how long will you hide from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? How long must I feel these emotions? How long, oh Lord? Lord, I pray that you would renew our, our hope. Lord, would you give us endurance for another day? Lord, would you meet us in our pain in such a way that your, your goodness um, surpasses our anguish. And maybe there'll be more nights to come, more pain to process, and maybe we'll limp through this life with a bit of a limp. Lord, I pray that you would fill our hearts with an expectation of joy to come. Lord, as we wait, I pray that you would help us to be good friends. That we would bear with one another with patience and humility, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Lord, receiving good gifts from one another, not despising each other, not judging one another, but receiving receiving affection from one another. receiving uh, the best attempts we've got to bless our brothers and sisters. 
Lord, help us to fight for one another. Lord Jesus, thank you for fighting for us, for laying down your life, body and blood, given for us. Lord, that we might turn to you and be your friend, experience your love. Lord, you said to take the bread and the wine receive it into our bodies as we remember your death until the day you come. Lord, this morning we remember. We remember your gift. We remember your faithfulness unto death as we anticipate the day you come.